0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Marnie's Friends, the online training show where experts share insights into aspects of life and leadership that take you from surviving to thriving ASAP. Right now, you are about to discover practical, doable success strategies to shorten your learning curve, increase your productivity, and skyrocket your delight in life. Be sure to thank today's guests by sharing this program via your favorite social media outlets and swing by Marnie.com and give me a shout out too. Now let's get going with today's episode of Marnie's Friends. Hi, welcome you. This is Marnie Sutter and we're excited to have you with us this afternoon for another edition of Marnie's Friends. Today we'll be talking about building credibility, the power of statistics. During this hour, our guest, Brenda Yoder, is going to help us discover why statistics provide credibility to your area of expertise, how statistics can spur change, engagement and action, how to use statistics without sounding like a weird statistic nerd, the differences between statistics, data and research, the key to making everything relevant, five essential factors of credibility in a world of false news, why it's essential to consider the source of the statistics before you use them the specific questions to ask, factors that could add credibility for your audience, and things to consider when making real-life connections from statistics. Our guest today, Brenda Yoder, is a speaker, author, licensed mental health counselor, and educator who tackles hard topics facing today's Christians. She's a wife and mom of four living in Indiana, and you can learn more about her at her website, brendayoder.com. Welcome to you, Brenda. Brenda. Thank you, Marty. I'm so glad to be here. And I'm excited to have you here, too. And this is kind of, I was uh, telling somebody about this the other day, uh, this is a, kind of a different topic than we usually do, and I'm excited to do it because I feel like I feel like it's an area where we can get kind of um, lost in the weeds sometimes. And a lot of you that are listening are speakers and authors and uh, thought leaders, and sometimes statistics are what we're basing our, you know, we're using them for proof or whatever, Brenda, and then, Maybe we don't understand quite what we should be looking at with them. So it's maybe a deeper dive program than we usually do, but I'm excited to share it because we're going to talk first here about statistics do provide credibility in our areas of expertise. I I personally love to use statistics when I can find a statistic that supports something I'm trying to share. I feel like it really does
1: add value. Yeah, it does, because we have expertise, but the audience or the people we're communicating to don't know that we have that expertise. And um, so uh, statistics really validate um, what we're trying to communicate and our experiences. So we're either coming as an expert from personal or professional experiences. And whenever we're communicating, um, you know, the audience is really – watching us to to latch on to whether we know what we're talking about. It's kind of that buy-in or that respect that they're gonna decide when we're speaking whether we have credibility or not. Um, The other thing that um, I love about statistics is that um, it really sets the difference between what's an opinion or what's an experience and what really makes something relative in our area of expertise you know, for myself, I'm an educator and a counselor, um, both as a, I'm a licensed teacher and licensed counselor, and um, I don't have a PhD. I don't have the time to do the research, but the good thing is, is that where there's good statistics and research, other people who have that um, extra set of knowledge and um, the resources to be able to provide the resources, they're doing the the hard work for what I need for my area of expertise. And so, um, they really correlate and work well together statistics in our life or our professional experiences yeah I
0: I do love it and I like it when other people share them too I mean it does uh, like to me and I'm not a real nerd or numbers person at all but when I hear statistics I do feel like I better understand what the person is talking about um, so you talk about specific statistics being able to spur change engagement and action tell us a little bit more about your thoughts there.
1: Sure, so as a writer and even as a speaker, I always say I don't just want to inspire a crowd, What I want to leave them with something that they can act upon. You know, when we write, we we call it that call to action. Um, So statistics are really the hard data that make connections for people, which um, end up hopefully change their thinking or change something about the topic that they can go back and influence stakeholders if they're not in a place to make change themselves or hopefully it's going to spur them to personally feel empowered to change something about um, the topic, something about the information that they're getting that is going to make a difference in their own sphere of influence. Um, So in order to really spur that change, we have to make connections between the data and that felt need. We have to, uh, we really want to encourage people to cause them to see the need and then to see what it is that they have personally that can help meet that need, um, one example that I'll just share um, was one that uh, statistic that uh, made a difference for me recently. Uh, this spring, there was a report by NPR, and they cited a study that showed um, high rates of loneliness among teens, young adults, and baby boomers. And as I saw that, uh, that really spurred me to be able to communicate those mental health needs to churches when I speak to churches because um, that then can help identify um, these needs within populations. So for a church to be able to know that their elderly and their teens and their young adults are experiencing loneliness, well, then that's going to help them really understand simple ways to connect with them. Um, It's also going to help them with outreach. You know, If a church is thinking about, well, how can we engage in outreach in our community? Oh, well, wait a minute. Church is one of the number one places of community in our culture. And so if we've got teens and young adults and um, baby boomers and older that are lacking um, connection, what a great uh, strategy and ministry tool for a church to be able to engage uh, those populations with some of the things that they're already doing. So making those connections to meet the need Um, of those in the population, but then also making those connections with those in the audience, really are exciting to me to be able to spur that change, engagement, and action. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite
0: statistics when I wrote my first book way back in 1996 that came out and it was a Kitchen Shortcuts book and I was talking about how to save money. And one of the ways was to get out of the grocery store fast. And the statistic that I used at that time was for every 17 minutes you spend in the grocery store, you spend an average of four hours worth of whatever you earn per hour. So your family wage,
1: oh, wow. whatever
0: that is, every 17 minutes you're spending that in the grocery store. So you can just quick in your head, do the math and say, is that true or is that not true? You know, uh, is that true of my family or is that not true of my family? And right. um, the majority of people really could relate to that. And so one of the keys for saving money is to get out of the grocery store faster. Just go faster. Get out of there yeah. and you will spend less money. So, but it does, you know, when you have a statistic that people can, you know, feel like is true. And I think that that's kind of where we lose people sometimes the statistic. You know, we're going to talk about that a little bit next year too. You don't want to sound like a nerd and you don't want to sound like you're way out there like you don't you don't know what you're talking about it should resonate with people. It shouldn't be like, yeah, that would be the statistic for the, you know, uh, tribe somewhere in another part of the world, not for me.
1: Right. No, that's exactly right. And as a, so as a, um, as a professional both in education and counseling, data and research drives a lot of what um, I do for my profession. Um, we have a lot of data driven, Um, assessments or best practices that we're supposed to to meet. Um, But making something really relevant to an audience um, really comes down to the audience themselves and finding out how the statistics and expertise that you bring, again, goes back to that need, goes back to really looking at who's your audience. So one thing I like to do is find out the demographics of my audience. Uh, because if you're presenting, the, you could present the same material to um, a very wealthy, perhaps urban, um, upper middle class, well-educated group, and you could present the same information to um, something, someone with the opposite demographics, and you're going to be missing, completely missing those crowds mm-hmm. if you're not adapting the statistics to their needs and who they are. Um, and the other part is that you don't want to sound like a reporter, So you don't want to just be up there spewing these statistics or sound like the Cliff Clavin for those of us that are big fans of Cheers where you're just spewing numbers, you're going to lose them. And so it's really about making practical applications about the statistics to the specific audience that you're talking to. So really uh, getting a feel for who's in the audience, why are they there, what is your Mm -hmm. role in presenting or writing to them or talking to them? Uh, Even if it's a one-on-one or you're working with a small group doing consultation or something like that, you really have to understand why is this, um, why is this material, this statistic relevant to them?
0: Absolutely. And one thing that I think is really helpful is when you're going to share some kind of a number or something like that to have, you know, to have a PowerPoint that, is very simple to see and to read just to reinforce that. When you're just sitting listening, it's very difficult to take in a series of numbers. At least I find it that way.
1: Oh, that's why I don't have a PhD to be honest with you. My husband's a math teacher and he does higher level math. And um, I, can, I can understand statistics if I read them, but graphing it and putting it on um, kind of that mathematical mode that is where I get lost and I get stuck there. And you're exactly right. Um, Simple statistics uh, and letting, sometimes the more uh, simple really helps those people who are visual learners, who really want to be able to see the statistics and break it down, think about how it applies to them, um, makes that relevancy, Um, Yeah, just really makes that relevant. Absolutely. Well, this is
0: Marnie Swebber. We're visiting today with Brenda Yoder of brendayoder.com about building credibility through statistics. The use of statistics. We'll be right back and talk about uh, the differences between statistics data and research, as well as keys to making them all relevant in your talks or books or articles. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Marnie Sledberg. You're joining us today for Building Credibility, the Power of Statistics with our guest, Brenda Yoder of brendayoder.com. Brenda, let's go ahead and
1: talk about the difference between statistics, data, and research. Sure. So um, data really is the information collection. You know, that's what we do, whether we do it ourselves, we do a survey, or um, we we do something informally or formally. Collecting data is just collecting the information. So once you have the the information, you have to do something with it, and that's really where statistics come in. So um, uh, statistics is really kind of taking that data and starting to break it down and report it. So uh, those numerical numbers um, break it down and then it allows us to be able to interpret the data. So getting the percentages of um, the respondents giving giving the numbers. Um, right now, in fact, I'm doing uh, I'm teaching about healthy relationships and teen dating violence in our local schools. So I'm there five days this week and five days last week. And at the end of every week, I have to collect the data because I have to give statistics that will prove um, that this. Uh, program is relevant for grant funding. So it's very practical. Um, research is more of the investigative properties of the data collection. Research is really um, the good research is really going to be the heart of statistics that we should be looking at, um, especially in wanting to build our credibility. Research is really looking and shaking out um, what is, what is um, in the data that's relevant are there pieces of the data collection that really is going to um, skew it because it wasn't answered correctly or because um, those people who are responding um, were lacking some type of efficacy for what makes the, um, what makes the statistics uh, the, the truest in form for what we're looking for? And so all of those different topics, data, statistics, and research, uh, have their different um, their different modalities, but we really want when we look at statistics, we really want to look at kind of the research behind it. How was it done? was it done well? what pool of the population are we looking for? and is the data that I collected and the statistics that I have are there is there even something about the statistics or the data that was collected that makes um, whatever I'm presenting not not truly accurate for what it is that I'm wanting to convey.
0: Hmm. So when we hear the term raw data, that's that's just we collected this number, but we haven't really put it into any useful organized format yet.
1: Right, and even your raw data, raw data is really looking at everything that was turned in. So um, last week I collected some data from this presentation that I did, and I had to, if I were to just take the raw data, the numbers and the responses would probably be skewed because I saw that some kids didn't fill out all the questions. Um, One kid was being real, um, kind of really sassy on it and was, um, nothing was relevant that that student was answering um, just because they wanted to be, um, you know, kind of um, obstinate. So looking at, so the raw data really is what you bring to the table saying okay here here really are, are here here are the papers this is what people filled out and then um taking that raw data and then being able to sift through it so that the true validity of um again um so we're going to take out the the kid who really d- didn't really answer um the questions according to what was really being asked taking out um those who only answered partial ones um not whole ones, taking out the assessments from perhaps um, respondents who weren't there during the whole time of the time period that you were wanting to assess. So all of those different variables really play into the statistics, how they're collected, and then um, whether, uh, whether it's valid or not.
0: Hmm. So does the research piece actually come before you begin collecting data?
1: Yes and no. Um, Sometimes, especially for a presenter, you're gonna um, get some statistics and some data and you're gonna do some research about the, st- the statistics. So there's different, um, so as a, especially as a presenter, there might be some things about the, statistic, the statistics that you need to know more about. And that might be where you're taking statistics on one side and you're comparing them with some similar studies that were done. Um, the other thing I want to point out is the difference between like a survey and research. So so that's something to distinguish. Your research is really going to be the more um, academic type of study um, responses, looking at a control group or a non-control group, or even just um, doing a survey, but trying to have it be uh, the most um, complete and applicable that it can be. On the other hand, we could get statistics just by doing a raw a raw poll on our Twitter feed, and we can say, "Oh, I did a you know I did a study or I did a survey," and these are the statistics. So research is really more of that comprehensive investigative, um, fully um, fully capable of all of the um, pieces of a good research model that needs to be done for um, for good research and the studies that you find from that, statistics could be from an informal poll, it could be from something where there's no research at all, and then someone slaps a sticker mm-hmm. on it and says, I did research,
0: and yeah, my that's research that's right. I
1: found based on my yeah. Twitter feed.
0: Yeah, huh. So... Uh, how often how often do you think and this is just a guess, how often do you think people start down the road collecting data and they they come to the end and it isn't what they wanted to see? It's like this doesn't prove my point at all. You think it's about half the time or
1: Oh boy, that would be hard to I guess to yeah, really right,
0: I'm sure. look yeah. at it
1: that way. But what I'll tell you as a counselor who has to go to research and when I really need when, when I really need to do research that um that is something that I'm looking for. That's when I go to the academic models, and um, you know the the journals of um, research that's that are done in the different fields of expertise um often come to that conclusion. They will yeah. say, we were this is what we were looking for. this is These are all of the studies that we did, and what we found is that there's no correlation. But yeah. what they find yeah. is that this part correlated, which is what we were thinking, but this other part did not have a correlation, and so we're going to suggest that that be something for further research. Um, right. I'm a big proponent of really going to, I mean, if you're really wanting to find the answers to something, you really need to go to the academic research and look at the the journals, um, the scientific journals or the um, the professional journals that have some of that research. Um, but You know, if um, I think even for a lot of uh, people doing their own individual, their own individual research, that's where having to be real honest with ourselves to be able to say, I know what I'm looking for, (laughs) but when I don't find it, then I can't twist it to make it be what I want it to be. (laughs) I even have that happen
0: to me when I'm trying to find proof for my thought in the Bible. It's like, I really want the Bible to say this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you have to say, yeah. no, 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 you know, you can take a verse out of context and make it say that, but the reality is does the whole Bible support that, you know, and people do this all the time and we hate it when other people, you know, do that, but we can do that with statistics and data as well. We can only tell half the story or tell a different story just by leaving out some of the, some of the, uh, some of the data or by skewing the, right. the actual research itself.
1: Yeah, And I think we see that oftentimes. I know this can probably everyone can probably relate to this, where you know a few years ago everyone said that you know oatmeal was supposed to be the best thing to um, you know take care of your heart health or whatever, and then a couple years later people are saying you know gluten, gluten's bad, everything related to wheat or um, you know every everything that grows from the ground that is not natural is supposed to not be healthy for you, or you know um, we all can correlate with with what that um, example is trying to, to share of uh, we can always almost find both sides to something if we look hard enough.
0: Right. That's and what that I really think. brings
1: us to yeah, I think that brings us to to that question that we'll talk about a little bit later of who's doing the funding and and what is their report <laughs> wanting to to
0: really show. Right. 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 No, I, I think it's really easy to manipulate um manipulate data to make it say what you want it to say. And I think it's it, I mean, that's why we're doing this show today, you know, just to bring it to the surface. OK, let's be honest with our with what we're saying as statistics and the, and the data that we're using and sharing. And so once you feel like you have good data, good, good research findings, then how do you make them relevant?
1: Yeah, so I think making it relevant really is about um, personal connection and practical application. And again, it, it goes back again to who your audience is that you're wanting to influence with your statistics or if you're preparing um, a talk that you're going to present or you're writing a book or an article and the research is going to, um, to meet a need for someone in that audience. It has to, be, it has to have some type of personal connection whether it's mm-hmm. us making the, per- the personal connection with the data or um, making the personal connection for the data um, to the audience member, and then having practical applications. Um, I personally, so I go to a lot of trainings for my profession that I have to um, go to in order to keep up with my license. And, you know, a difference with someone presenting research, um, I just for example, I went to uh, a, a training on neuroscience in the brain and I understood it but it was still at that very academic level that didn't really help me as a practitioner to know how to help um, people with uh, with trauma, with PTSD, with what's going on with the brain chemistry, with what's going on in the brain and then I went on a, um, a mission trip with a ministry that actually does trauma-informed care and Um, They presented it in such a way that my husband, who's a teacher, and um, people there on the mission team who don't work day in and day out with the brain science behind why people do what they do, they presented the the same information in a way that made personal connections for those who aren't in mental health to be able to understand why people with trauma act or might um, respond to things in certain ways. So. I really believe that it has to do with practical application, personal connection, and there's one thing that I wanna talk about that I think is very, very important about making data relevant, and that's in thinking in terms of we versus us and them, and I wanna explain that for a second. A lot of times when we present data, we we tend to be presenting material to whatever the population is that we're presenting it to um, with this idea of I'm reporting numbers, and the numbers are kind of, um, the numbers are them. It's these people I'm talking about, when in reality, whatever research we're doing, the people in those numbers are real people, and probably the topic that we're talking about is going to have some type of personal connection or someone in the room or someone who's reading our material who is part part of the statistics. And we tend, when we tend to talk about statistics hmm. in the terms of these people or those numbers, when there are actual people in our audience who mm-hmm. are part of those numbers or who, who okay. have been affected by the data, we really, we really disconnect with them, we distance them, and we set ourselves apart. It becomes this really emotional and clinical disconnection of I have this knowledge and I'm telling you about this, about these people, when those people, those numbers, they're real people. And so um, I really want to encourage um, speakers, especially in communicators, to really, on looking at data, to think about the people behind the numbers. And in communicating that, making it relevant really is about the personal connection, not about that hard data that is just knowledge that we have.
0: Mm. So I'm thinking of a practical application right now. So I'm going to go to Africa and speak for women there. And 85% of the people who are listening to me will not be able to read. You know, they Mm -hmm. don't have the ability to read. Now, that's a me versus them type of a statistic. Um, It isn't me who can't read, but I'm being affected by the data. (laughs) Right. I want to be able to share with them in a simple enough way and maybe a repetitive enough way that they'll be able to carry it out the door with them without having it being backed up in writing. You know, that's a different audience than I will have, you know, in the States. Um, So how do, like in a situation like that, how do I make it us and them versus, you know, how do I make it a we?
1: Right, so part of that is making our own personal connections. So what about a, what about a woman in Africa who can't read has, has, this, has similar connections with you? Perhaps you're going to connect with them um, that you're both mothers. Perhaps you're going to connect with them that even, even though you can read and they can't, you still struggle with the same things of having to um, prepare meals every day for your family or, um, or you, you have the same emotions perhaps the topic that you're talking about um, is something that you both can have um, empathy about or that you both can really, you may be the person who's trying to understand something that you can't fully understand from their perspective because you haven't lived it. Um, So you're giving them the resources to be able to perhaps carry it out. It's, It's, It's the I'm alongside you rather than I'm coming to you to give you um, a handout or a hand up. It's kind of this commonness of finding what is common among us so that you will be more um, willing to receive the information I'm giving you because you feel as though I'm with you rather than I'm above you or I'm against you or that I'm somehow detached from you. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's mm-hmm. practical enough, but that has been my experience in working with people in different scenarios that I perhaps have not had the personal experience with, but there, there are always elements of humanity that we can connect on. And then looking at the data through the lens of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you have, yeah. if, yeah. yeah, so I was just going to say like, so for the statistics that you're working with, if it evokes empathy in you, um, or if it invokes, um, sadness in you you know really trying to um, think about um, how if you and if the tables were turned if the tables were turned and you were sitting there and you needed to hear this right. information how how would you want it to, how would you receive it what would be the things that you're presenting that would invite you to the information or that would repel you to the information to say that woman really really doesn't know what she's talking about
0: yeah Well, and I think too, you know, does the, does the statistic can, can, can there be a way that the statistic can actually make you better instead of making you feel defeated? Like it's hopeless. I can't possibly share my content with people who can't, you know, follow up with a workbook, Uh, you know, or is it. Is it something that's just challenging you to say, okay, how can I present this in such a way that they can be able to, you know, take it home as well as enjoy it here when we're together? Well, this is Marnie Swedberg visiting today's Brenda Yoder of brendayoder.com on the topic of the power of statistics to build credibility. We're going to take a short break, come back and talk about five essential factors of credibility in a world of false news. We'll be right back. Find your next speaker at womenspeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring nearly 1,000 Christian women speakers from every state, denomination, and fee range, some near you. It's all available to you 24 hours a day, so you can start your most enjoyable speaker search anytime you have time. Search by location, name, topic, or fee range. Connect directly with the speakers you like using their social media links or the online connection box. It's really that easy. WomenSpeakers.com has been the number one online connection place since 2002. Speaker profiles include a bio, professional headshot photo, a list of topics with descriptions, some references from people who've heard them speak, and so much more. It's all fast and free to search anytime you have time, day or night. Check it out right now, womenspeakers.com. That's www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie Sledberg with our guest today, Brenda Yoder, who is one of our speakers over at womenspeakers.com. You want to be sure to check that out after the show today. And right now we're still talking about the power of statistics, and we're going to move into uh, five essential factors of credibility in a world of false news. Oh, my goodness, Brenda, right now, uh, as we're doing this program live, it's it's, uh, election season. And I am just amazed that they are like, I don't know how it is in your neighborhood, but on our TV, uh, the commercials go, here's the opponent telling us everything that's not true about the candidate that's running. And then the exact next Mm -hmm. advertisement is is the person who's running for office telling us that exact opposite thing of what they're telling us in the previous commercial. It is just like crazy nuts um, to, to try to figure out what is true or not true.
1: Right. And I think we're in a we are really in a culture where people, they don't even, they're so inundated by all of these statistics and information that they're not really going to give a thought to you unless you really are presenting something that has some credibility. Um, and as a, as a speaker, so as professional communicators, then we really have to be picky and to really be intentional yeah. about where we're getting our sources. So that's the first essential factor, is that your source has to be credible. And when I say credible, that doesn't just mean do a Google search and, and choose, <laughs> oh, it's CBS who said so it has to be this. Um, I, I would suggest using government data, you know, for a lot of things government or the government database has uh, such a comprehensive um, database for information, especially if you're looking at demographics for an area or um, just a lot of different information, government data, academic research that I've mentioned before, um, professional research databases, even within the field of expertise. So whatever topic it is that you're looking for, looking for for those research um, databases that are out there. And then there are the reputable um, polling or survey companies like Barna or Gallup, Mm -hmm. um, Nielsen, you know, a a lot of these – Pieces where you know that these are professionals who do professional research, and then even if you are just doing a real quick search, you know, for a, you do a Google search, you're trying to put an article together. Um, even the least amount would be use reputable sources and and double check the facts. You know, if you find a if you find a news source on CBS and you compare it with um, with two other news sites, at least. Check the stories to see if they are um, comparable. The other thing then would be to use try to, to use non-biased statistics. So, again, so much of the statistics that are out there are really just bi- supporting a bias or opinion. So using trying to use um, multiple sources as much as possible so that if, it's, if you find research in one area, if you find a poll in one area, is there anything else out there that backs it up? Um, The third thing I think that is essential for providing credibility, especially in today's culture, is have a reason for why you're reporting it. Even if you're just sharing it on social media, don't just be one more person who's out there just shoving more information out without there being a point. Um, And so if you're using statistics to provide a point, really ask yourself, why am I the person to communicate this? What's my passion about this that making me um, want to use a statistic? What is it spurring in me that's causing me to want to have a voice that's out there? And then really try to hone in your reasons for why it is you're, you're speaking or writing about um, the topic. Uh, the fourth thing that I suggest is that if you don't have personal experience with the topic um, of the research that you're reporting, ask people who are experts in that topic or who have life experiences so that you can have a name and a face with the statistics. Um, you have something that you're bringing to the table that makes you an expert in in a particular area about the statistic that you're using. But if you don't have a personal connection with it, then even just call up a friend or um, have a short poll on on your Facebook page or something like that where you can get some feedback from people who have those experiences. So, again, you you can really make some of those personal connections. And then finally, number five is that if you really want credibility in this world of false news, well, you have to be the expert. So um, so if you are an expert on the topic and your statistic is backing it up, then that's great. Then you go with it and you talk in your area of expertise and education and, and knowledge and, and use it well. But if you are not necessarily an expert on the topic, but you're really wanting to become one, then then dive into it. Look, um, look into training. Are there trainings in your area that you could go to on your topic? Are there specific certifications that might be helpful for you if you really are passionate about a topic that has been spurred on by some statistic that you've seen? Um, really gain, ex- or gain um, expertise from from those areas that you don't have to just go out and get another degree in, but really look at what are some of those formal settings. And the last thing I would suggest within that realm of being an expert is that gain experience perhaps by volunteering or engaging with individuals who are represented by that statistic. So let's say you're passionate about um, um, you know, sex trafficking or something like that, but you don't, have a, you don't have a counseling degree, you don't have any reason of why you would work face-to-face with um, someone in sex trafficking, look at the statistics and then maybe perhaps volunteer. So maybe volunteer at, um, at some type of resource in your area that would at least allow you to be in the field and really starting to work alongside people who are either care providers or, um, or those who have those life experiences yourself. Um, try to gain mm-hmm. as much personal connection as you can.
0: it reminds me so we have owned a retail store and a restaurant and then an online directory and so um and plus i've written 13 books and you know like that so whenever somebody tells me about a business idea that you can go into and you can just make money hand over fist i mean this person over here they're making so much money brenda you should try that because that's where the money is and i always ask the same question have you ever tried it because it's one thing to look at something from the outside and make a judgment about it. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to actually be in it and doing it and know what you're talking about. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. The difference between just spewing a statistic without really knowing what you're talking about and actually having the hands-on uh, application. You've been there. You've done it. You've seen it. You know,
1: you know. Exactly. True. It changes no, everything. Exactly. It does. And that real, a a person who, a person can, can scout someone who's, you know, kind of faking it. They can, I mean, they can sniff fakers out pretty quickly and um, you're going to ruin credibility with, with people. Mm -hmm. I think there's a human, there's an element of humility there of in being the expert of something, really think about what's the expert part that you bring to the table. So for myself, I'm a I'm a teacher at heart. I was a high school teacher before I became a therapist and a counselor. And um, so even when I present a lot of topics or talk about things that perhaps I don't have a specific expertise in, um, the expertise that I do have is that I'm a I'm a teacher of the subject. So um, that's one of my mm-hmm. one of my strengths is teaching. So in teaching the topic doesn't necessarily make me the expert on the topic, but it helps um, I'm able to then gather gather people who are and perhaps facilitate something, um, helping, helping people make connections in a way that I don't necessarily have to be the expert on the topic, but I can help make some of those connections with the experts who are, who might not be good teachers to be able to communicate um, their stories or their material with an audience mm-hmm. who needs to hear it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just the fact that someone hired you to teach it is an external stamp of um, confidence in you that is extended then to your audiences listening to you. You know, I mean, it's like it's like the author of a book who's been published and it's that that publishing house has said we trust that this person is the person to teach you about this topic. You know I mean? That outside credibility helps a lot too. Well, we're going to take a little break here and come right back and talk about the specific questions to ask when looking for statistics, factors that add credibility and things to consider when making real life connections from statistics. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Minutes with Marty is my per minute coaching service. Whenever you feel stuck, have an idea you want to run by me, need to pick my brain, or would like me to edit your one-page or media pitch, just schedule a 15 to 60-minute session using the Easy Calendar tool at Marnie.com. I'm so grateful that you're here with us today, and I hope to connect with you one-on-one soon. Visit Marnie.com, that's M-A-R-N-I-E.com, to schedule your coaching session right now. Hey everybody, welcome back. We're visiting today with Brenda Yoder. She is a speaker, author, and licensed mental health counselor and educator. And we're talking today about building credibility with statistics, by using statistics. Brenda, let's dive into some specific questions to ask when looking at statistics.
1: Sure, so um, one of the first questions to ask is who is doing the research? Uh, and is again, is the report is the um, are the people doing the research credible? It goes back to the question we just talked about. Is it just a random survey done by um, done by a person who really doesn't have credibility? Is it done by a business who's trying to use it for promotional material? or as we've talked before, it, are, is the the company or even the funding behind the research trying to prove a point? Um, so really think about who's doing the research. And then to even look at other modes of research, that, um, are the, is there other research out there that backs this particular study up, or are there going to be two conflicting pieces there? Uh, and then some other questions are looking at the population who was surveyed or who the research was was done upon. Um, how the researchers looked at the right population, looking at demographics, looking at all of those different things, especially in trying to make the research relevant to your population. So if, if the demographics of the research you're trying to present is completely opposite of um, <laughs> right. those, you know, that, then it's not valid. You, it's comparing apples to oranges. Um, mm-hmm. Another question is um, looking at the numbers. So this this is really my love of research, Um, looking at the numbers, because the numbers tell a lot. And it's not about so much the number itself, but who are the people behind the numbers? Um, And then asking the why behind the numbers. And not that you're going to be the person to then go and do a doctoral um, dissertation on on the why, but it really is that investigative part. But really looking at statistics at, at numbers and why is it why, why is that large majority in that particular topic, why did it come out that way, and, and who are they? Really kind of looking at it, um, for example, I'll just share one real quickly. Last year I was at a, a sex trafficking um, conference, and um, there was a number about the amount of people who are trafficked who are not rescued, And um, I don't have the specific detail, the number in front of me. I've I've actually looked for it several times, Um, but it was over 90%. And that number just stuck with me because um, because we don't focus on that 90%. We tend to focus on um, perhaps the two or three percent that we hear are being rescued, and we and we fail to look at that large majority. And that just really that impacted me so greatly. Because to me, those are um, those are then all of all of the people who um, who aren't being looked at. Mm-hmm. I think um, statistics are not are people.
0: Right. And right. again, right. I, I'm
1: I'm talking you. I'm I'm not the data driven person. That's what y'all have to know. You're talking to someone who's in behavioral sciences, who's a counselor and an educator. So I work with people. So that's why. I'm making that suggestion of just looking at the numbers and then looking at the why, and then even asking, how does this, how does this impact me? Mm
0: -hmm. And, um,
1: but then just practical pieces too, is there validity in the research Um, and really asking who's doing the research? What are their motivations? And if it's driven by a lot of money um, because someone's trying to prove a political point or something like you just mentioned, then you know that that research is probably something to be thrown out.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I always, you know, I always think about, you know, okay, 90% of trafficked, um, of sex trafficked people are not rescued. It's like, well, how do they come up with a number like that? That seems like the invisible number, the number that you could never have. But then my mind went to work on, well, if, if for every person that they rescue, they say, how many people were there? Approximately how many people were with you? You know, I mean, you could come up with a number like that and have a. You know, a pretty a pretty good guesstimate of what it is. Yeah, it's just 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 stepping back and saying, wow, how did they come up with it? Uh, You know, what does it have to do with me? Yeah, I love that. Sure.
1: Yeah, and and looking at the looking at the person who who that came from or where that research came from. Again, like like Mm -hmm. for that particular that particular um, training that I went to, these were the experts in sex trafficking um, in the United States. You know, so. Mm This data was was data that um, I truly was sitting under, and there was there' was so much data, and that was just one that stuck mm-hmm. out to me and um, knowing that uh, that they are the experts. and then uh, so for me to be able then to personalize that and come back and and um, have that action to change, in fact, that was their call to, to us was what are you going to do with what you've learned? at this training and I went back to (laughs) say that, you know, the best thing I can do is start educating and to really um, having people look at rather than looking at um, that 3% that's rescued, we need to look at the 90 some percent that isn't um, because where are they? And, Mm -hmm. um, And how do we prevent, you know, how do we reach out? How do we prevent? How do we be aware?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so fascinating that whole that whole aspect of the world that we're so sheltered from here in the states. I know, uh, working with again the same group Kenya that I was mentioning earlier. Um, you know, the government required a, a large brick wall put around the orphanages. Why? Because mm-hmm. ISIS is coming in and kidnapping the orphans to put them into ISIS. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like, oh my goodness, you know, we don't even think of stuff like that here. You know, we just don't have, we don't have the same the same things happening every day that are happening around the world. So it it does help us to look at these things and to have a new perspective on it. So um, what are some factors that add credibility when we're sharing statistics with our audience?
1: Yeah, so no matter matter what your area of expertise is, um, you need to share your credentials. You know, so um, if you have professional credentials, you share those. That includes things you've written, you know your education, but then also life experiences. So um, a lot of people minimize their life experiences, or they try to make themselves, um, or they they try to make themselves um, kind of removed from a lot of their life experiences, or don't value their life experiences. When really, a lot of our life experiences, even though we don't have the um, the education that makes us experts in that, um, it's it is credible to say I am a survivor of, or for you, Marnie, Mm -hmm. I'm an owner of, you know, three or Mm -hmm. four businesses. So your credentials really are important. Um, Another thing is is really um, tapping into the knowledge that the audience has. So I think it's real important in presenting um, statistics and research and material is that we don't come in with, I'm the expert, and you all have things that I'm that I'm going to give you. It's really understanding that our audience they have their own they have their own set of knowledge and experiences and expertise. So, kind of tapping into their understanding and knowledge. We don't want to insult them. We really want to um, be able to kind of have a um, uh, an acknowledgement of their own understanding, and then. when we're in a situation where we can be presenting things then is to be able to have that rapport with them. Ask a few questions. Get some feedback from them. Help them buy into the fact that um, you are bringing your expertise but you're also acknowledging and um, tapping into what they already know. Um, Another thing that adds uh, credibility is just common sense. I wish I could have written that Um, answer for everything we've talked about I think a lot of the the difference between that data that just really sounds um, too academic and yeah and not applicable Mm -hmm. is that you're a person's just not using common sense and how it relates to people and how we're interpreting it and then the final thing that adds credibility is really just um, not not misrepresenting yourself so we need to represent ourselves with with the knowledge we have, with the knowledge we don't have. And one of the the greatest um, things that I've learned, I think, especially as an educator, is that um, being told, you know, if you don't know the answer to everything, don't act like you do. You can just simply say, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll be glad to find it out for you. Or to be able to say, you know, I don't have the answer to that question, but here are the resources that I can point you to because they're the experts and they do. So really um, being being reputable about who you really are and what you're bringing to the table.
0: That last point, I, I just think the person who is the most confident in their area of expertise is the person who is most readily <laughs> willing to say it. You know that's a good question. I've never had that before, or I don't have a clue, but I can find out. I can you know and and you're you're just honest because you actually are comfortable in your area of expertise. You've done a tremendous amount of study and research and life in that area of expertise. So the fact that you don't know it just indicates that the person came up with a really good question. It doesn't indicate that you're not knowledgeable. It's just it's just wow, cool. I hadn't really thought about it from that aspect. I'm going to look into it. Because if it is your area of interest, you also are interested in finding out the answer.
1: Oh, definitely. And if you have the opportunity where you can go back to that event or that person or if it's, if it's a training that's long term or something like that, um, then you have the ability to be able to follow up with that. And that actually can spur more expertise in your area or for you to be exactly. able to grow in that, in that realm because you're actually spurred something that you hadn't thought about. That's one of the reasons I love tapping into the audience and really right. tapping into uh-huh. what other, other people know is because we really only see what we see and we don't see every perspective about a particular topic.
0: Absolutely. I think another way to add credibility too is to is to cite your sources. So I remember oh, um, the first time, the first time I, I had somebody read through a manuscript on my very first book and I was using statistics and I was going to add the sources later but the very first feedback I got was, where did you get these numbers? You know, it's mm-hmm. like if you aren't citing your source, even in a talk from a platform, if you're not citing your source, and you don't have to go into all of the long citation, but just say, you know, this is from, you know, the USDA's, you know, annual report, whatever, wherever you got it from. If you don't do that, then people really believe you're just pulling numbers out of the air. And they don't have any choice but to believe that because you haven't given them anything mm-hmm. different from that. Yeah.
1: No, exactly. In fact, that's why the the, the number, the statistic that I was just sharing before about um, the the statistic that struck me struck me about that large percentage of people who are trafficked, both in the United States and out, uh, the is over ninety percent, is because I have searched like I. I've searched my own notes. I even went back to the mm-hmm. conference conference presenter and said, "Can you tell me where that number is? Because I was so that number such right. it impacted me so much." And you know, they haven't been able to get back to the the person because it's a um, very well-renowned professional. And so, even in citing that certain statistic, that's where I'm going to say I can't say it's a certain percentage. All I know, all what I do remember right. is that it's over 90%. Um, So even in that, I want to be careful about not just pulling a number out of the air, but um, you're exactly right.
0: But isn't this what distinguishes, it distinguishes the listener from the expert. So the expert stood up there, gave you credible information that you believed enough to share it with me, even though you're not the expert and you don't have the citation on that particular thing. And that's what's happening with our talks and our books too. People are pulling pieces out and sharing it with other people, not because they're the expert, but because something that we've written or we've said has resonated with them. That's why it's so important that we get it right in the first place. Yeah, to the
1: information we share. (laughs) You're exactly right, and that's why that spur to action or change really is what's so important. Is that we do want to leave people with this compelling, um, compelling action that something we said. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. (laughs) so what are some final things to
0: consider then when making real life connections from statistics
1: sure so um, I think what's real important is to ask yourself what do you know already so what do you know already that connects with the with the statistic or the topic that you're looking at and then the second question is to ask yourself how does the research support what you already know Again, it goes back to those personal connections that really relate to people. And then the third thing is, uh, what does the research mean for your topic? Uh, Really asking yourself, um, how does this research really apply to what it is that I'm interested in or what it is that I'm trying to convey? And then um, make educated connection, not educated guesses. So this is where (laughs) we don't want to make correlations that are not accurate correlations. That's the job of the researcher. What we can do is make um, connections by saying, um, yeah, I again, I guess I go back to the sex trafficking number. To me, making this connection is that I know that a majority of, um, uh, in the United States, the majority of people who are trafficked come out of foster care. So for me, mm-hmm. the real life connection is that as a church community, we can really um, invest in sex trafficking here in the United States by being by becoming more involved in foster care, whether that's supporting a foster parent or being willing to um, be a be a foster care provider ourselves. Um, the other last questions would be ask again ask people in your own spheres of influence um, about the statistics, so that we see things from a different perspective, so that we're just not stuck in what we want to see. Kind of throw it out there. So hey, I just learned I heard the statistic. What do you think about this? And really start getting people, um, kind of getting some feedback from other people about connections that they that they make.
0: And then um,
1: and the the last one is something I've mentioned before. When you're presenting and you're you're able to do this, have discussions with your audience and let them make connections rather than us telling them. You know, so throw a question to them and let them talk about it at their table or talk about it in small groups amongst themselves so that they can make connections rather than us being the one who is giving them all of those connections. People respond to things when they connect with it personally. That's coming from the number one educational um, tool is that kids learn and humans learn when we make personal connections. And then Mm -hmm. finally, Marnie, I just think that in presenting um, statistics and trying to do it with the best efficacy that we can is just to ask God for wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know, he sees everything behind the data. And I'm always surprised when I ask God for him to show me my perspective. He always Mm -hmm. does at some random time Mm -hmm. where I'm able to I have a question or a thought about something that I would have never seen perhaps if I wasn't really asking him to show me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all, it's always where we should start and, and, and spend our time and, end. <laughs> that's the feet of Jesus to understand, you know, I, I like to just asking this question, you know, talk to me about this from your perspective, you know, God, how are you seeing yeah. this? Well, this hour has just flown by Brenda and I want you guys to be sure to follow up with her. Uh, Brenda's uh, website is Y O D E R Y-O-D-E-R.com. Brenda, when people go over there, what are they going to find?
1: Um, they're going to find um, a lot of my blog articles for several years relating to Life, Faith, and Parenting Beyond the Storybook Image. And they'll get to know me a little bit. They'll get to know a lot of the trainings and some of the teachings and topics um, that I teach on. And um, they can also find it for a free resource called Five Ways to Heal Hurt. Um, that they can enter an email and get that free resource. That will go right to them.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being here.
1: I've loved hosting you today. Thank you. Well, I'm so excited to be here, and this has been a, a fun and hopefully very relevant topic for people who are listening Thank you, Brenda. And thank you all for being here. Can't have a radio show without listeners. And it's
0: so fun to share Wednesday afternoons live with you at Blog Talk Radio. And to all of you who listen around the net, thank you for that. And for those of you who host us, much gratitude to you as well. Looking forward to seeing you again next time on Mari's Friends. Until then, have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.